You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. And so today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, as we've been walking, or just basically begun our walk through the book of Genesis. We've already spent uh, quite a few Sundays in uh, Genesis chapter 1, and now we into chapter 2 as well. Well, as you're turning in your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you a question that seems to be puzzling a lot of people today. It's a question that's getting a lot of buzz out there in the world right now, and it's also getting a lot of confused answers. And that question is just simply, yet profoundly, what is woman? What is woman? How would you answer that? Well, as the newest um, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, Kentanji Brown Jackson, was asked the same question at her confirmation hearing, uh, she was asked, what is woman? She said, I can't. I can't answer that. I can't, not in this context. She says, I'm not a biologist. And so this is a Supreme Court justice now in the U.S., who's going to be making judgment calls on the most important laws in the United States, and she cannot, or rather she will not, answer the simplest question, what is a woman? In fact, maybe some of you have heard about this new documentary from Matt Walsh. He he plays off this, he's a conservative guy, and he plays off this, and he's entitled this documentary, What is Woman? And he's going out throughout the United States asking professors, asking lawmakers, asking senators, asking the experts what is woman and what he discovers in our Western, postmodern, gender-confused culture is that people today would rather twist their answer or avoid the answer altogether or even just refuse to answer this very simple question to their detriment and, and to the dishonoring of this distinct beauty and reality of who and what a woman truly is. Friends, this world wants you to believe that womanhood is whatever you choose it to be, that it's about choice, not biology, that it's about how you feel or what you think or just what you desire, that a woman is only a woman if she wants to be a woman, and that anyone can become a woman or be a woman just because they identify as a woman. Friends, we're living in a strange new world, a world of confusion and lies, to the point that people can't even answer such a foundational, basic question, what is a woman? Well, friends, as the world is lost and confused, our God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of truth. And when it comes to the question, what is woman, God has the answers. And he's not ashamed to give the answers. He's not shy about it. No, he's absolutely honest and clear. In fact, as we're going to study Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 today, we're going to see that just in the, in the second chapter of the Bible, God gives the answer to what is a woman. Because God is the one who designed the woman. God is the one who created her. Therefore, he's the one who gets to define her. And friends, what he reveals about her is absolutely incredible, beautiful. And the woman reveals much about him that 
that man alone cannot reveal about the image of God as well. And so let's go to the text. Genesis 2, starting in verses 18. The word of God says, Then the Lord God said, remember Yahweh Elohim, Lord God, that's his covenant name. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word that you have written by your Holy Spirit's inspiration through men, through these books of the Bible, gathered together by your divine sovereign hand, and how you have preserved your sufficient word for us through all of the ages, we turn to what you have said, not to what the world wants to say. We want to hear from you. And this morning, as we, as we contemplate and consider and apply uh, this reality that you created woman, we want to hear from you as to what you define woman is and to how that it reflects your image and how that also applies to the gospel. God, you are a good and faithful God. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive it, open our, he our ears to hear it, and open our eyes to see the glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, as creation up to this point, <coughs> in the eyes of God, has been declared good, as we continue into the latter half here of chapter 2 this morning, right on the heels of God creating Adam, all of a sudden we hear here in verse 18 that something isn't good. Right? As God saw that the light was good, as he saw that the dry land and the seas and the vegetation was good, and he declared it as good. And then as God observed the sun, moon, and the, the stars as he created them, as he observes the sea creatures and birds and the animals, and he declares them all to be good, as the first man is created and is then placed in the garden alone, all of a sudden we hear that something isn't good. And what isn't good, according to God, is that Adam is alone. As the sky is complete with all of its stars and the sea is complete with all of its fish and the land is complete with all of its vegetation and animals, Adam is incomplete on his own and this is not good. 
Therefore, in God's good plan, in God's good design, God creates for him a completing companion. A completing companion. For Adam, this is a gift given to him, this completing companion. And as God responds to that, when you look back at the end of chapter one, right, as it says, he creates a man and woman in his flesh, in his image. As he sees it all, he declares it as very good, right? This completing companion is designed and created by the wisdom and the grace of God to be a woman. And she is a, a new creation. And she is a creation like Adam in his humanity, but also she is different than Adam in very unique and distinct ways, in ways that bring him completing companionship. Friends, the creation of mankind is not complete without the woman. Now, as much as Adam bears the image of God individually, much more does humanity bear the image of God in community. Specifically, in the community of matrimony, in the community of a, of a man and a woman together. Community that cannot exist apart from the distinct creation of woman. So, so women here today just initially hear this according to the, the word of God in the beginning before the fall. His creation was incomplete without you. His image stamp upon this earth was incomplete without you, right? Adam alone wasn't enough. In fact, Adam being alone in the eyes of God wasn't good. No, what was very good in the eyes of God was the completion of God by creating you, man and woman, together just as he created you. He created you, as we already studied, right? In his image, male and female, he created them, right? He created you in his image to bring godly companionship in his image and to bring godly completeness in his image. Go back to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So friends, we need to think of man and woman as two halves of a whole. They're two halves of the whole picture, right? It's, it's that classic, we're like two puzzle pieces that fit together, right? We have different aspects, yet when we are placed together and fit together as designed by God, it paints a picture of God that is so much more clear as one a more complete picture of the image of God himself. And so the woman plays a role of completion. She is the finishing touch. She plays the role of completing companionship. Without her, and many of us men would agree, what a sad existence that would be. In fact, there would be no existence without the woman, right? She is a completing companion. She was created in part for relationship, right? As we're all created to have fellowship with God, think about Adam. He had fellowship with God in the garden, but yet God said it wasn't good yet, right? As we're all created as social entities, we're created not only for the vertical relationship we have with God, but to have a close 
horizontal relationship, which then reflects the relationship God has even within himself. When you think about the Trinity, you think about our triune God, you think about God existing in the fellowship of the Trinity as Father, Son, Holy Spirit eternally, and the creation of woman, creating this community that we have, man now gets a tangible, necessary taste of the relationship God has. <clears throat> and we get this through the relationship with the woman. And, and it's also vice versa, right? This is a tangible, godly grace that Adam could only receive through the creation of the woman. And friends, it is so good. It is so good. Ladies, for us husbands, you are the grace of God given to us to experience more of God as he reveals himself to us through you. The love that we get to share reflects the love that the Holy Trinity has as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's an experience of his fellowship, his friendship he has within himself, his good community within the Godhead that he is giving us to experience by giving us you. As he is complete within himself, if you remember that old cheesy Jerry Maguire line, right, you complete me, this is actually true. Right? Like when, I, when I think of, of my wife, Kim, she totally completes me. Without her, I am incomplete. Without her, I am missing out. Without her, my godliness is not where it needs to be. Without her, my fellowship with God is just not the same. Without her, my image bearing falls short. Therefore, I need her to talk to. She needs to talk with me. I need to talk with her. It's a, it's a communicative, communal relationship. As we share our life together, as we communicate our hearts together, our desires, our needs, our struggles. Friends, companionship is essential to being human. We are relational creatures. But even more than just general relationship, we are designed to be specially relational. As man to woman, as husband to wife. Friends, just think about it. No one, or, or men, just think about it. No one knows you more than your wife. And women, no one knows you more than your husband. It's about knowing and it's about being known. And we all desperately want that in life. And it's a loving knowing that we get to experience. Right, as Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. The love that the Father had for Jesus, the love that the whole Trinity had within it, when itself, he now graces us to experience a taste of that through the man and woman relationship. That's why the world, for the most part, spends their lives, spends their ambitions, spends their longings, searching for the one to love. Searching for the one to be loved by. Because it's written on our hearts. It's a part of our design. It's a pattern given to us by God. That's why we're so captivated with stories about the pursuit of love. That's why we write love songs and poems about love. Because it's not good that man is alone. No, we're not meant to be alone. No, friends, it's very good that man has woman, and woman has man, because it's a taste, again, of the community that God has within himself. Right, as God already said in chapter one, verse 26, let us make man in our image, 
after our likeness. And then in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he says, male and female, he created them. Right? This plural begets plural. And then he extends that to us. Again, through this completing companionship of the woman. And so friends, do you know how we Christians, those who hold to the Bible, often get the rap of being anti-woman? We sometimes get called you know, misogynistic or, or prejudiced against the woman. Friends, the God of the Bible knows nothing of this. No, he created woman as special. In fact, when you look at the context of what's going on here and the Israelites who were in the desert hearing this for the first time, back then there was all kinds of creation myths going on at that time. And all of those other creation myths barely mention woman at all, let alone explain the details and the purpose of their creation. Now, as we see here in God's word, he takes a lot of time to explain who this woman is. We are, we, are, we are not anti-woman. We are not misogynistic. The God of the Bible elevates woman in the context of the time. And friends, without woman, we wouldn't know the half of it. Right? It's not good here without you. It's not complete without you. Now, you get the distinct privilege of being that final, essential, beautiful puzzle piece that finishes humanity the finishing touch of the companionship of God that causes God to say, back in verse 31 of chapter one, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. An old Jewish rabbi once wrote, he said, whoever has no wife exists without goodness, without a helpmate, without joy, without blessing, without atonement, without well-being, without a full life, Indeed, such a one reduces the representation of the divine image on earth. That's why when you look on the world, for the most part, this world is marrying. This world is pursuing one another. Men pursue, pursuing women, coming together in marriage. It's written on our hearts. And, but as we look at the word of God, it explains what this is all about. So we see first that she is a completing companion but then we also see that she is to be a helper, according to verse 18. We also see that in verse 20, that as a woman is to be biblically defined as a companion, her companionship comes with the unique and distinct role of helper. In fact, she is to be a complementary helper. I will make him a helper fit for him, God says. This saying, fit for him, kenegdo in, in the Hebrew, literally means like what is in front of him. Something made in the same likeness of himself. And we see that being explained in verse 19, because it says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And so we see Adam here, as instructed from chapter 1, he's responding to God's command to take dominion and rule of the world. And so as we see this naming of the animals, 
He is practicing that rule. He's exercising his rule. Adam is taking dominion. He's naming the animals. This is his God-given authority. But then in that, as we think about how it's not good for him to be alone, as he needs a companion helper, verse 20 says, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but... But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Meaning that in all the creation that Adam was to rule over and take dominion over, there was not found fit for him the helper that he needs. I mean, as good as the horse was for him to ride or as as good as the ox was for him to, to plow the fields, there was not a fit helper in all of creation. All of the creative things fell short of the true help he was going to need, the kind of help that Adam really needed in order to continue taking dominion of the earth, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so God's answer was this, verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. Just think of this as divine surgery going on here. God puts him to sleep so that he can do the surgery. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up or closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. And then he brought her to the man. You know, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but when I was a kid, somebody told me that men have one less rib than a woman. And I'm even more embarrassed to think of how long I actually believed that. No, friends, we have the same. But uh, Adam was the only one who was one rib short. As we look at this creation story of Eve, as the word solite literally means one of Adam's ribs, the point that God is making here over anything else is that the woman was made from part of the man. She is going to be made of the same stuff as Adam, right? She's not an animal. Right, as everything else was either spoken to existence from nothing, and as Adam and the animals were formed from the ground, Eve is the first thing that is made from a living thing. She is, she's made from a part of Adam. Right, as God, as this picture of God when he created Adam was a picture of God as a potter, right, in the forming of the man. What we see here now with the creation of Eve is that God is a builder and he is making a woman. The text doesn't say that he formed her from the ground. No, the word is bana, meaning that he built her, he made her which means he had to use building materials. And the building material that God uses here is Adam. He's the living man. So friends, Eve is the first living thing to be made from a living thing. And she's made from Adam. Therefore, Eve stands out as so unique over all of the animals. And the reason that she was made from Adam was that she would be the obvious, suitable helper for him. That she would be the perfect partner. That she was made from his own substance, made in his likeness and God's likeness. One that is like Adam in his humanity. She is like him in his equality, right? She is equal with him. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said about Eve, he said, not made out of the top, or sorry, not made out of his head to top him, 
not out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So she is absolutely equal, right? She's created in the image of God, but yet so distinct and so unique in her function, in her role. How do we know that? Well, as we know, that because God created Eve from Adam, he then takes her to him to present her to him like he did the animals, right? Not that she's equal with the animals, but that Adam is to receive her as his helper, as he is the leader, she is to be the follower, the assistant, the helper, to show Adam that although although he couldn't find a suitable helper in the animals, in the creation, God had created the perfect partner for him to take dominion. And so ladies, according to God, according to your creator, as we look to God to define what he has created, to define what it means to be woman, in part, you have been designed by God to be a helper, to be a helpmate. Now as I say those words to you from God's word, let's just be honest right now. How do you feel when the word of God says that you are to be a helper. How does, that, how does that sit in your heart initially? How do you initially react to the, the reality that, that, that you are to be a helper? Is there any bit of you that flinches when you hear that? Is there any bit of you that cringes or is uneasy that the Bible says that you were created to be a helper? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that a demeaning thing today? Isn't that some kind of old antiquated idea, some kind of old archaic practice? Is this one of those things that you're free to disagree with God about? Helper, really? I'm created to help this guy? Well, friends, in our current day for sure, what God is saying here by the world's standards is countercultural. By the world's standards, this is antiquated, right? By the world's standards, this doesn't line up with the the agenda today. But we as Christians, we don't operate according to the world's standards. We operate by God's standard. As the world has been driving feminist ideology, feminist equality to the extreme, right? I am woman, hear me roar, right? Anything you can do, I can do better, right? Equal rights, equal pay, equal say. Friends, we as a society have been conditioned to think that a woman helping or assisting a man is a negative thing or even an evil thing, let alone being how God actually defines her to be. And so if you find it hard to define yourself as helper, it's not because God is wrong or that this is an old school concept. No, it's because we're really not getting the full picture of the dignity of what it means to be a helper. Ladies, to be a helper is to be like God. As Eve was made in the image and the likeness of God, one of the unique and distinct ways that she images God is to be a helper just like him. As you look at the title of helper, we need to remember that the scriptures often refer to God as helper. 
In fact, for the Jews hearing this from Moses for the first time, they would have heard Moses refer to God as a helper in Exodus 18.4, right? He said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Friends, God is helping all the time according to scripture. Psalm 124.8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, right? Creator, helper. Or Psalm 121, verse one to two, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So helping is a dignified characteristic of God that women have been equipped with to so uniquely and distinctly reflect his image. This comes down to how even in, in our, our likeness, women were created with attributes and qualities and abilities that are impossible for man to do. I mean, just think, think, think physically. Physically, as much as the world is trying to blur the lines on our differences, we are so different physically from each other in so many ways. As the world is trying to define woman by how you feel, that's not how God defines it. No, very explicitly and clearly, God defines woman first physically. To this day, and maybe not much for, for much longer, as, as a doctor delivers a baby, what's the first thing they observe? The first thing they observe and they recognize and they declare is the sex of the baby. Friends, biology defines sex and gender, not feelings. You are who God created you to be. Eve is who God created her to be. She was created with female parts, with ovaries and, and eggs and a womb to grow a baby. She's been given the equipment to, to, to nurse a baby. Friends, this is the really basic but primary way that, that Eve is going to be a help to Adam. Right? He's been called to be fruitful and to multiply. You can't do that without the woman. To be fruitful and multiply needs one man and needs one woman. Without women, we wouldn't be here. Friends, don't believe the world as they lie to you and tell you that two women can have a baby. Or two men can have a baby. They cannot do that on their own. As Netflix has a show right now about a pregnant man, it is just all lies, friends. Don't believe that garbage. Don't expose yourself to that stuff. Don't expose your kids to that stuff. Now, it's impossible apart from a sperm and an egg, from a man and a woman, respectively, to make a baby. So, women, we men rejoice in how God made you. We rejoice in how God made you so uniquely different from us. Like, you are the powerhouse when it comes to bearing children. Right? Although we're a part of that initial spark, you primarily do all the work. You carry that child. You carry that child for nine months. Right? Through all the nausea, all the bloating, all the discomfort, all the pain. You go through the birth pain that would basically kill any man. 
And then even after that, you're equipped to, to nurse and to feed and to care so beautifully that it's what it means to be a woman at the very core. Don't let any man who is confused and trying to identify as a woman steal that away from you. A man cannot be a woman. A man cannot be a mother. Trans women are not women. They will never be women. Don't ever fall for that postmodern talk that your truth is your truth. You can choose to be a woman if you want. No, you cannot. No, God's design for woman as helper is so beautifully and powerfully portrayed every time a woman carries a child and gives birth to a child. When you think about it, this is just a taste of being like your creator, creating and carrying and sustaining humanity within humanity. Something so beautiful, so godly, so unique, it's a part of image-bearing that no man can ever experience on his own. Friends, the beauty we witness when a mom is caring for her child is the unique, the unique beauty of God on display that you can only get through a woman. And then secondly, another way women so uniquely and distinctly reflect God's image is in her capacity to care, her capacity to feel, her capacity to have compassion. Friends, as God reveals in his word, in his word that he has emotions, that he is a compassionate God, as women tend to be tapped more directly into their emotions than men are, this readily and more openly displays a part of God that is less prevalent for men. Right? That's not to say that men are not emotional creatures. We are. But a woman just has a greater capacity in this regard. You know, as God is going to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, his very namesake, he says, I'm a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So if you're to think about your parents, for those who have the grace of, of knowing their parents, we understand that for sure, but if you think about your parents and you think about these qualities, especially when you were like really young, more often than not, who is the one who is more merciful when you're crying? Who is more gracious to you when you make a mess? Who is slower to get angry? Who is just so full of abounding, steadfast love and faithfulness, especially when you're really little? Mom tends to be more of these things in my recollection. She cared for me day in and day out. Right, for some of us guys, although our jobs may be super hard, staying at home for one day with the little ones would be like the hardest thing you ever do sometimes. But mom does it day in and day out, showing love and compassion and mercy. Just think about the tenderness and the patience on display in a mom. And then a third way she emulates the helping character of God is in her willingness to submit and to follow her husband. As the text says, God brought the woman to the man. As Paul then says in 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9, for man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Friends, there is a distinct 
and sanctified godly beauty in a wife's willingness to follow her husband and to be led just as God designed. And friends, this is not oppressive as the world would want to paint the picture. No, when it is done biblically and when it is done rightly, as Ephesians 5.25 would say, husbands, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How? He gave himself up for her. He sacrificed himself for her. Right? This is a tender, sacrificial, leading, and loving. Or as 1 Peter 3.7 would show us, he, he lives with his wife in an understanding way. That's knowing her. That's understanding her. That's being tender with her. And then as she responds to that leadership and willingly, as she's submitting to his leadership as unto the Lord of Ephesians 5.22, what we see yet again, that even though the woman is created equal in the image of God, that she has a distinct role of a helping submission that then reflects a quality of God that is so unique. It is a tangible display, again, of the roles of what's going on, the functions within the Trinity, right? Good Trinitarian theology teaches that there is submission even within the Godhead, that submission is a godly thing, right? The Father sent the Son, right? And Christ submits to the Father, that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and that the Holy Spirit is also sent by Jesus. You see complementary roles within the Trinity. Yes, they are equal in essence, but they play distinct, functional, complementary roles. And friends, this is godliness on display. This is the reflection of God that is so beautifully on display distinctly in the role a woman plays in her marriage. Ladies, to be a helper is not to be less than. To be a helper is to be like God. Right? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And so the Lord sent to Adam through the creation of the woman a helpmate. So yes, this is countercultural today, ladies. But to be a woman, according to God, is to be a complementary helper. And so as we just kind of pause there for a minute, we're going to ask ourselves, how's my helping going? Am I fighting constantly to break free from his leadership? Am I following the ways of the world, trying to find my independence from man? Or am I called to be a helper? And then husbands as well, what does your leading look like that would enable her and encourage her to help more uh, godly. And then as you observe how Adam responds to the creation of woman, as God brings her to him in verse 23, we see the very first song sung in the Bible, and we are given the lyrics to that song written by Adam himself, right? That would be Josh, CCLI number 0001, right? It's a celebration of God's incredible gift of the woman. That by immediate observation, by Adam, the woman is a celebrated treasure. Verse 23, then the man said, this at last, he says, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Right? Notice just previously how God brought all the animals to Adam so that he could name them. When the woman is brought to man, before he even names her, in all of his excitement as he beholds her unique personhood, it's nothing short of absolute celebration. This at last, he says, this at last, this is the one I've been looking for. This is the one that's not like the animals. This at last is my perfect partner. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is like me. She is human. But wow, she is so different. Again, as he would have, have, have seen how she is the same, but yet she is so, how she is so beautifully and uniquely different than him, he exclaims with passion, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, which is really, biblically speaking, when you look at the Bible, that, that speaks of kinship, that speaks of family. As the animals and birds and the fish all had their kinds, Adam has now found his kind, his same yet different kind, right before his eyes, and so he celebrates her. What a God-given treasure she is to him. Friends, as the world is trying to tell us that woman is to be celebrated as independent, that she's in no need of a man. What, what Adam is ex exclaiming here, this is, this is amazing. This is exactly what I needed. What Adam celebrates is what God celebrates. He celebrates her kindred sameness, yet her unique womanness, right? Both together at the same time. And then as the text goes on to say that he names her, right, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Ladies, your true womanhood isn't about trying to get away from man, to be fiercely independent. No, there is a connection that you're going to have with man that is going to supersede any cultural shift, any attempt to redefine who men and women are. We have been designed before the fall to be connected we're going to learn about that more next week. We have been designed by God to be suitable for each other. If you were to put Adam and Eve next to each other, there's no doubt that you would see the similarities in their design. But yet, if you were to see them both, you would see how they are so clearly and obviously different from each other. It's such a beautiful contrast between the two. Just think physically, the man is the broader one. He is the more angular one. He is the one who is physically stronger. He's been designed by God in a way to fulfill his role as provider and defender, tender and keeper of the garden. But then if you were to observe Eve, she would have been markably smaller, softer, more delicate, with such obvious physical properties designed for the bearing of children and to care for them. Friends, as woman comes from man, they are stronger together. They are holier together. They are more effective together. Both come with their own unique re reproductive parts that only works one way. Man and woman, again, like those two puzzle pieces of the whole, joined together spiritually and physically, which then creates life, like the creator. Adam and Eve reflecting God, their creator. And friends, this is so obvious, this is so basic, but yet it is so beautiful, this is so right, that anything less 
or anything more that tries to undermine this or compete with this or counterfeit this is not good. It is not right. Anything different than this goes against God's good, very good design. And so as we look at how woman so perfectly completes the picture, friends, she is to be celebrated as Adam celebrates her. True womanhood, according to the scriptures, is to be celebrated. So men here today, young and old, let us continually celebrate the gift of woman. What a treasure she is. Continually celebrate your wife. Celebrate your daughters. Celebrate your moms. Celebrate your grandmothers. There's such a treasure given to us. And we would be an absolute mess without them. And women, embrace your biblical womanhood. Right? Not as the world wants, but as God designed. Because biblical womanhood is true womanhood. And that is worth celebrating. You are woman because you were divinely, personally created by God to be uniquely and distinctly woman. Right? A completing companion. A complementary helper. And a celebrated treasure. And friends, these are the distinct, unique ways that women reflect the image of God in the garden. But these are also ways that God continued to reveal himself to man and his ultimate plan of redemption after the garden. Right? Some may be tempted to jest wrongly. Well, everything was fine in the garden until a woman came along and ate the fruit. Remember God's words. It wasn't good that man was alone. And then after he finished Adam and Eve, he said everything was very good. Friends, the truth of it all, in all of God's perfect wisdom and design, was that his plan of salvation was actually going to come through the woman. That even though, yes, she ate, and as we look in chapter 3, she was deceived, as we're going to study soon, that although, yes, she gives the fruit to Adam, and that Adam just willingly eats, which, when you think about it, wasn't helpful. In the divine, omniscient wisdom of God, as he knows the beginning from the end, as he knew all of this was going to take place, his plan of redemption was to come through the offspring of the woman. If you go to chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, it says this, right? God curses the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Right? They're going to be at odds. Enmity between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friends, the gospel according to Genesis is actually that there is only two paths to this life. One path in following Satan, becoming the offspring of Satan, which leads to eternal death, and the other gospel path within the offspring of the woman. That although Satan will bruise his heel, meaning that Satan is going to do all he can to try to undermine Christ, to undermine the created order, to bring temptation, to prowl around and lie, as he's adding to his offspring, the only hope and answer for the world, the answer for humanity, is through the life-giving offspring of the woman. 
Just after the fall, we see Adam redefining Eve's, or the woman's name, right? He gives her the name Eve. In Genesis 3.20, he says, the man called his wife's name Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all the living. Right? This is, this is the gospel, that there's, there's going to be offspring that is going to lead to life. And then as you trace that out through the development of the Old Testament, you're going to trace that through Seth, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, as God promises to establish this offspring promise, right? And it's an offspring promise that speaks about eternity, to which is only fully and finally and freely culminating in one virgin birth, one final offspring in Bethlehem. The final offspring of the woman, the Christ Jesus, right? God with us, who lived and died and rose again in order to bruise, in order to crush the head of the serpent as promised in Genesis 3.15, once and for all for the salvation of the world, as Galatians 3.16 says, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So women here this morning, you are not a curse. You are not an animal. You are not less than. You are an absolute blessing. And you play such an integral part in the story. It's not good that man is alone. You are a completing companion. You're a complimentary helper. And you are a celebrated treasure. Let's pray. Our good God, we, we thank you that you have given us the gift of woman. It was not good that we were alone. We needed a helper. We needed a companion. We needed something to celebrate, something that points us to you. And so we are so thankful that by your good grace that you knew exactly what we needed. And so as we exist normally, um, as, as men and women. And we understand, God, as well, that sometimes that doesn't happen. That doesn't mean a single woman uh, cannot reflect the image of God. Doesn't, doesn't mean that a, a single man cannot reflect the image of God. We do look to what you have created, and we celebrate your perfect good design. We know, God, that we are fallen. We know that even, even in our fall, that we would even be at war with one another as men and women but what you have created is very good. We're so thankful that your gospel can transform and point us to the person of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you gave the promise of the offspring of the woman and how that's so perfectly developed and culminated in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is the offspring. And we're so thankful that if we're found in him, we get to go back to the garden one day with you and to exist with you forever, worshiping you, working for you. We love you, God. We thank you for this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus.